Welcome to Act 3, the podcast where we explore how to thoughtfully shape the rest of our lives. I'm your host, Kara Gray. This podcast is sponsored by Good Morning Freedom, my retirement coaching service where I help executives and professionals plan their Act 3. For more information, stay tuned until the end. Today, I welcome Bob Leese to the podcast. Bob was raised in suburban Chicago and received a degree in chemical engineering and an MBA in marketing. His early career was focused on manufacturing operations where he served in various technical and leadership roles within plants. Those experiences led him to a second career in supply chain where he led teams responsible for managing capacity and production for several large CPG organizations including his last role as VP of Supply Chain Planning at Tyson Foods. Bob and his wife, Jill, raised three wonderful daughters, all of whom are entering the working world as engineers, two having attended Notre Dame. After retiring from corporate life, Bob spent the past school year substitute teaching. He loves traveling and outdoor activities, including hiking, gardening, and golfing. Bob is part of the current cohort in the Inspired Leadership Initiative program at Notre Dame and working towards a new and different third career. So, Bob, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Sure. I'm I'm excited to hear about all of it. I always start with the main bulk of your career. So tell me what initially drew you to the career in chemical engineering and manufacturing operations. Um, at 18, I don't know that I spent a lot of time thinking about it. Uh, <laughs> I enjoyed chemistry. I had a good chemistry teacher. I liked solving problems. I liked science and math. And all that just seemed to go together. Um, engineering felt right and chemical felt right. And so uh, without much more thought than that, <laughs> um, I went on down to University of Illinois and started in chemistry. And, and I liked it a lot in terms yeah. of uh, the schoolwork. Uh, so it it fit me pretty well, but it wasn't, you know, some soul searching amount of thinking. It, it, yeah, well, that's what we're gonna do now, hopefully. Yeah, it's a, <laughs> it's a whole different story. Yeah, and then you you did make a switch to supply chain management. What kind of prompted that move? Yeah. Um. So I, I started my career at a plant. Um. It was near home. I actually started like as a summer intern. Um, working on lines. And then they had me do an internship as an engineer. Um, I spent the first few years sort of uh, in chemical process. There's a big uh, processing area at the soap factory before you made actual bars of soap and packaged them. And uh, I decided I really liked sort of the leadership piece of business. So I went and got my MBA and eventually found my way back to the same plant a few years later. And um, I did just about everything you could do. I wanted to be a plant manager and I did everything you could do at the plant. I went inside and did um, sort of packaging operations and then I did warehousing and scheduling and material control. Um, but the, and, and, and I accepted this, the real need of a plant manager is to have multiple plant experiences. And Jill and I didn't really want to move around that much. So I was kind of crossed off the plant manager um, track and I had spent about five years in the biggest department, leading the packaging department at the Barso factory. And uh, I had done a lot of work that looked like supply chain planning. I had done uh, a bunch of interfacing with corporate. I had done a bunch of work around trying to install some systems that would help us track 
our productivity and things like that, that you could replicate other places. And so they approached me about moving to Phoenix and starting with the supply chain planning piece at Dial. Um, and we moved there for a few years and that that's how I got there. And I was that was a, a good move for me because plant manager wasn't going to happen. And it, it happened at just the right time in terms of I was ready for something different and really hadn't spent enough time to come to my own conclusion. But this felt perfect. So that, that that's how it started. Nice. So over your years in supply chain, what were some of the biggest changes or innovations that you saw happen? I mean, that that whole thing has changed a lot over the years. Yeah. Um, I would say that automation has always been sort of a creeping thing um, in terms of in the plant and then how you account for that. A little bit about what supply chain planning is. So my yeah. team would... Kind of oversee the broader business planning process such that the operational world would have a forecast by which they could go plan what to make in weekly buckets, make sure it's in the right place, plan capacity if you looked out longer term. Um, huh. And so between automation of plants and working through that and changing the way you might do those calculations, and then automation of the information that you might use to generate a forecast. Um, you can imagine, you know, 20 years ago, the notion that you could figure out through IRI data or somewhere just exactly what got sold everywhere, every day, um, really changes the way you can import data, um, how, how you can manage that and all those sorts of things really improved. And, and in the end, it wasn't quite AI. AI will, you know, make yeah. it even, even faster and even more, but um, computer programs were able to sort of handle a lot of data in ways that they weren't in the past, um, more of a machine language classification thing where, where you might have a piece of data that you wanted to manipulate and a human would have to go in and set all these parameters. And now a machine can just come in and, and handle thousands of them right uh, right away, yeah. do it better than a human. And so, so working through those sorts of things in terms of managing the data and how you would manage the business on top of that really changed over 15 years. But the underlying skeleton of how you kind of made that data turn into business decisions didn't really change. Okay. The role that you left before you retired, shall we say, um, was VP of supply chain at Tyson Foods Supply Chain Planning. What were some of your biggest accomplishments or challenges in that role? Yeah. The, um, I say accomplishments and challenges kind of go hand in hand. I would imagine. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, my wife would say I didn't retire. I just am taking a break. But yeah, <laughs> well, we're going to get to that. Yeah, we'll get to that. Um, two things happened while I was VP. Uh, we installed SAP and we went live kind of all at once. They call that a big bang go live. And so all hundreds of sites and plants and things. And that was a big struggle. So working through that was a big challenge that we got through. Um, and then we happened to kind of get our feet really under us just as 2020 started. And about March of 2020, COVID hit. Yeah. And uh, that was an interesting time, especially in the food world, right? So being, having spent 15 years kind of figuring out how as a supply chain leader to interface with the business, whether that's marketing or sales or finance or whoever, um, Working with the leadership team of the prepared foods world of Tyson during that time when restaurants closed down, so you don't need any food service stuff and 
Everyone's yeah. going to the grocery store and buying whatever they can in terms of the retail side and trying to navigate that and let people understand when we would have, what we would have, um, how to convert lines, navigating through those, especially first 12 months of, of sort of uh, COVID lockdown was an amazing time. Um, some it, it was energizing in the sense that as a business leadership team, we were really working together to just try and do our best, which is sometimes different than when there are issues that are kind of self-made. You know, yeah. everybody was working through the same issues and, and to and to just watch watch the team pull together, be part of that every day um, in a different working environment from home, right? Um, yeah. Interesting. And uh, one of the essays to get into, into Notre Dame called upon that. And it really felt like the pinnacle of I'd spent all this time in a plant, all this time doing, you know, this sort of business. And then it came to bear at that time in a way that was really fulfilling um, for me. And as I, as I chose to leave, I felt like I had, I had accomplished quite a bit and I was kind of looking for just something new to do in the last third of a working career. Yeah. Very good. So on a personal note, how is it like to raise three daughters who are following in your footsteps in engineering? <laughs> and um, how did that come about? <laughs> I don't know. So they, they were always, you know, sort of math and science-y too. Yeah. Uh, Jill was a biology major. She was math and science-y. Um, and I think they, no, so I, I don't, I don't know how they came about this, but they're in the, I want to go change the world mindset which is not unusual for young people, but they see yep. engineering as a way to do that. They're, they're yep. trying to find their way into sort of the sustainability world. Um, and that requires some, you know, some experience first. So I think they were just already programmed that way, whether that's genetically or environmentally. And then we, we encouraged all of that. I, you know, they were capable of doing stuff and you kind of step back and let them go about it. Um, um, I hope I was a good example of what engineers are able to do. Um, and it is really nice to see uh, to see your daughters go out in the world and visit them at their places of work in their new homes and to see them truly making their own way um, and having the confidence that they're just fine, right? Yeah. Um, that must be an incredible say, feeling. Yeah. Oh, it, it, my dad would say, you know, we would talk when they were little. Um, he would, he would say, oh, we're going to miss this age. He says, you know, that that's probably true to some extent, but your mom and I have always found that each age had its own pleasures and you should just be on the watch out. And he was right, right? Yeah, they're out of the house and we miss them. Yeah. But, um, you live in other ways through them as well, right? Yep. So the first year after you left Tyson, you spent substitute teaching. Tell me what drew you to that and what the most rewarding aspects of that were. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll take a step back. You know, we yeah. talked about kind of finishing the career. I really wanted to do something, you know, not, not even tangential, to really do something different yeah. with the last third. Um, yeah. And my wife was, is a substitute teacher and now she's <sighs> a time teacher's assistant and she had a job that just sounded great. Two days a week, she would go into this, um, local grade school, kindergarten through sixth grade. And I didn't want anything to do with middle schoolers or high schoolers. Uh, <laughs> smart. Just, just smart, right? 
Um, and go in two days a week and she would float class to class as teachers had, you know, parent teacher meetings. So she would go from kindergarten to fifth grade and do this. And, and I thought, well, that just sounds great. Two days a week sounds great. And rolling through classes and just getting a different experience sounds great. And as, as luck would have it, that job fell to me, like the opportunity to do that exact job that she had. And so I fell into that and it was it was great. I can see being a teacher, whether that's college or grade school or whatever, it it strikes a, a chord in me. And mm -hmm. I remember being, um, it might have been the third or fourth day, and I'm in third grade. Third grade's a great grade. Um, and they're doing rounding, and I'm walking around, you know, hey, how's it going? How's it going? And this this one girl, um, she looks up and she's like, is this right? And I look at it and then one of them, and I'm like, nope, you need to check. I forget what I said. You need to check something. And I walk away and I turn back, you know, what, four or five seconds later. And I see her go, oh, in those sorts of moments, most of the day is just trying to keep it on the rails, right? Make sure nobody <laughs> gets hurt. Nobody, but once or twice, maybe three times a day, you'd have a moment where you saw the light bulb go off and uh, that, that, is something I enjoy um, and am looking for, um, however that might look in, in whatever I do in the future. Yeah. So I didn't realize that somebody that doesn't have any background in teaching and teaching credentials can actually do substitute teaching. What are the requirements for the that? Requirements like, I, I'm just curious now. Yeah. College degree. Um, and, and you have to pass a couple of sort of background checks and things like that. Yeah. Now to be clear, I was given very few difficult things to do. Um, so it was mostly, you know, keeping people in, and that's what grade school is nice. I would have hated to go to say, you know, a high school honors physics classroom where yeah. I know a little, yeah. but, um, and my understanding of like a high school or even a grade school, my, my sister's a grade school teacher, seventh grade is if, if you're going to substitute there, they're going to work independently and you're just a, you know, a monitor. Yeah. And what I liked about, you know, I, I know I'm capable to do most of the things that third graders and below can do. So um, it was fine, right? Yeah. Math and stuff. So you mentioned the possibility of potentially doing some more teaching in your third act. Are there any other types of roles or industries that you're hoping to explore and that you are exploring? Yeah. Um, and that's one of the nice things about being on campus. There are all sorts of things going on, right? So I'm taking a class on leadership um, that I believe, and not so much to learn about leadership, but to see if I can see myself leading a class like that. And I would say, mm -hmm. yes, um, I've signed up to mentor both at the career center and um, at a at a piece of the organization that helps first generation students. Um, so I was I was functionally a first generation college student way back when my parents my mom did not go to college my dad only went for a year and then kind of had to come back home um, and I recognized that my daughter's experience going off to college was a lot different from mine in terms of just advice and understanding and navigation. And I would really love to be able to help those other first generation students do the same thing. Um, so career counseling, um, mentoring, mm -hmm. um, teaching at a higher level. So I'm, I'm investigating all of those. And then I just got involved um, 
most universities now have some sort of innovation center, idea center sort of thing. And Notre Dame does as well. And one of their pieces is um, to help local industry solve business problems, right? And to bring to bear the resources of the university. Now, a, a local CEO wouldn't know how to navigate the university in order to tie into the right pieces of expertise. So they have an arm of the idea center and I'm I'm participating in that. And that looks like, you know, some form of, you know, teaching people how to do what I was doing, um, you know, consulting, it's not quite consulting and being a consultant, but it's a, it's a dabbling in it. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm, I'm in the first semester, I'm testing all those sorts of things to see kind of what fits while still going through classes and things like that. Yeah. So for those of you who haven't listened to all of my podcast episodes, Notre Dame has, I've talked to several people that are in different Encore programs and even professors in Encore programs. And these are programs that are springing up in universities kind of all around the country and all around the world. I know there's a couple in England and probably other places that I'm not even aware of yet, but it gives folks the opportunity to go back and really explore you know, what the next chapter in their life is going to look like. And I, I think it's just a fantastic trend that we're that we're seeing happening, because I think a lot of people really want to, you know, make sure they're living their life to the fullest and doing things that are giving them purpose and passion, for sure. So I have to ask, too, how does it feel to be back at school? Are you, are, are you living on campus at Notre I Dame? Am. I am in my one bedroom apartment, uh, just <laughs> off campus. Uh, I have... Yeah, the bare essentials. Um, it was partially furnished, but it didn't have some other stuff. And uh, the first couple of weeks were weird. I miss my wife and the yeah. dog and my friends at home. Um, but it's a it's a fulfilling, um, it's a fulfilling time. It's only about nine months. So okay, know, yeah, I was gonna. Oh my gosh, I'm gonna that. be like this forever. But yeah, and um, I would back up to say so. The ILI program, we're in our fifth cohort. Um, there are 15 of us. That's a good size. You could probably get to 20, but you need it. You can't have too many people because a lot of the learning is from each other, right? So, yeah, you need everybody to have um, their own time to, to voice their opinions as you work through homework and issues through the program. Yeah. Um, and it's like I talked about not really having spent much time at 18 choosing my career path and it served me fine, but it's a difficult thing to stop a career and then really spend the time to discern what you want to do and how you want to do it and who you kind of want to be in the last 20 or 30 years of what can be an active life. It used to be careers were only about 30 years. Now they're close to 50 and mm -hmm. You, you have time if you have the energy and, and willingness to go really have a whole new experience. And yeah. uh, making that choice at 18, when you have your whole life in front of you and making your choice at 60-ish, right, is a <laughs> lot different. So you, you can't do that from your couch. You have no. to find a way to break out of routines, to uh, meet new people, do new things and other experiences. And so really leaving home and going away to college again um, <laughs> has been great. I um, I enjoy being on college. I walk to school. I'm, I'm a 12 minute walk to most of my classes. Perfect. I'm just, you know, in jeans and a t-shirt, just like the rest of the students with my backpack on and, you know, listening to all that sort of stuff. Um, 
And the students here have come to at least understand that this is something that's happening and they're, they're, it's not that unusual for people to, you know, some are, are aware, some are not, but it's well accepted and uh, I really enjoy it. Really. Yeah. Really, yeah. Um, some other folks that I've interviewed have talked about how I, I like that it's a group of 15. That's really intimate and nice, but how that group really becomes like your trust circle. Like you really, I mean, you do get vulnerable. This this work of figuring out what you want to do in the third part of your life is, you know, you have to do some uncomfortable things to find out what is going to be the best use of your time and what you want to do, what what's going to give you purpose and passion in your life. So, yeah, I was just wondering, like, if how you're feeling about that. I imagine that's growing over time as well. Yeah, um, but it happens quickly. Yeah. Uh, it's quite a, a group of people. So I'm, I'm probably the only engineer slash supply chain person. There are other business people for sure. But there's a, a woman from Africa, a man from India, um, several doctors, um, just a wide range of people. You know, um, there's a deacon um, who is a, in the House of Representatives. There's, you know, a couple of people from the financial world. And so you get a, a, a much broader range of people than I did as a chemical engineer, yeah. an MBA, or someone who's in a plant. You know, you just you just get a, a, a much broader um, range of people. And your yeah. age, there's a lot less um, vulnerability in your ego at mm. 60 than there is when you're 19. And mm. so we were pretty quick to recognize that you know, we only got a year, let's let this stuff get out on the table. Um, and it's really nice. We have good conversations. Um, they did a really nice job. The ILI people, I think, have figured out whatever the magic formula is to get the right people in who are interested in doing what we're talking about. Because yeah. you could school for other reasons, but yeah. by and large, everyone's here to kind of sort it out. Yeah. And uh, you can't do that alone. And you can't, like I said, you can't do it from your couch. So, yeah. So one final question that I ask all of the folks that I interview is what advice do you have to other people who are entering this transition period in their lives? Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll go back to, can't do it from your couch. So you kind of have yep. to come to it. There are a lot of programs like this starting. There's three in full swing um, at Harvard, Stanford, and here, yeah. and then there are at least three or four that have just started, but I'm aware of at least 20 more that are in flight in terms of trying to figure out how to actually launch and 40 more above that yep. who are looking at it um, for reasons, you know, I, I think we've covered. I would tell you if you're, if you're looking to make a big change and do a full reset, um, you'll have to find a way to break out of your routine. And, and find new stuff. It may or may not be that you want to go back to college. <laughs> um, but if you do want to go back to college in this sense, you should really think about what you want to get from that time because the programs are all going to be a little bit different. And I won't speak to that. I have an understanding, but yeah, you know, if it, each one would provide a different experience. Um, but I really am a big proponent of the notion that you need to break your routine 
You need to go and work with others and experience other things in order to, in order to find something different. Now, if, yeah. if you want to do is find a downshifted version of what you were doing in the past, which is just fine. Yeah, um, I think yeah. you can do that on your own, right? And and that's a choice you can make. But if you wanted to do something different, you have to, you have to kind of commit. Um, yeah, and uh, and if you commit, I think you'd be pretty happy with what you get either way. Um, it's it's an it's a nice broadening experience, and I hope that would help someone. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Bob, thank you so much for your time today. It's been thank great to have you me. as a guest. Great. This podcast is sponsored by Good Morning Freedom, my retirement coaching firm. I help executives and professionals plan the non-financial part of their retirement, like how to discover new purpose and how you want to spend your time. I offer a one-on-one -on -one coaching retirement blueprint package where we work together to discover some new avenues of exploration for your Act 3. This coaching is completely custom and we'll provide you with a ton of resources and support as you transition to this new stage of life. For all the details, please go to goodmorningfreedom.com slash services.